This is In Search of Tracks podcast, and we're still alive. I'm Pete. Whoa. <laughs> I'm Bob. Whoa. Hey. Hey, Bob. Uh, Pete, we're doing Pearl Jam 10 today. Yeah, we are. It's a long time um, coming. Yeah, it is. Uh, I feel like we've done this like magical mystery tour of grunge. <laughs> um, it's and been so fun. We- the people like it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of one of those things that hits a sweet spot for so many of us and so many people in our general age range where there's a familiarity with the records. And then also, whether you love them or hate them, you know them. Yep. Um, And revisiting them, you know, well, you know, we'll get into my personal experience, but it's some of it was like, oh, yeah, old glove. And then some of it's like, huh, okay. Like, I don't totally remember this segment of it um before we get in how are you doing today i'm all right um so a little behind the scenes um yes please we were out last week because i uh or actually you know the audience you listeners did not miss anything but um (laughs) typically typically we record um, once a week and last week we did not. And part of the reason is because I lost my voice for about three days, um, which was particularly awkward because I actually went to a show, um, quicksand and ran into you, but I yes. had no voice. So I couldn't actually say hello. And I ran into a number of other people and I had to just kind of do the hand signals, letting them know that I did not have COVID, but I did not have a voice either. So, um, weird week. Um, tough to work in those circumstances, particularly on a podcast where really all that matters is having a voice. Um, but now I'm back. <laughs> I had a cough for about a week, um, which again, did not turn into COVID luckily. Um, would have been my second time, but uh, I'm no, good. Too. I'm feeling healthy. I started running again. Uh, oh, yeah. It was a all nice right. day getting back in, back in the groove, you know? So that's where I'm Yo, at. I love to hear it. It was very funny. Uh, I also went to the Quicksand show um, in Asbury Park. <clears throat> I had been texting with Pete. He had told me his situation, so I kind of knew. I didn't know quite how severe it is because when someone says they lose their voice, sometimes that means, hey, what's up? And sometimes that means exactly. like that. So, uh, um, no, I. Uh, it was nice to see you. I was, um, man, you know, shout out to all the good folks I talked to at the quicksand show. Um, the ones who had a few too many drinks, I always forget, man. I always forget <laughs> just how friendly folks can get when they haven't seen. Cause I also chalk it up to people haven't seen each other for a long time. So there were some people who were very excited to talk and chat. And that was cool. When you came over, I was like knee deep. Like I had claws were in me on a very, hard conversation so i saw pete and then like fan of the fan of the magic poof pete was alakazam just gone you know i mean i had nothing to say you know so (laughs) what am i gonna do (laughs) yeah right 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 so um, i found a corner and i hidden it hey yeah it was uh, it's it's uh there are worse moves at a gig so um Pearl Jam 10. Uh, this is one that's been l- long in the making. We've talked about it. We've hyped it. Before we get into it, Pete, I'm going to ask you questions about this, and you can kind of give me your personal and or most like f- 
fastball answers. Are you okay. ready for this? Let's go. Who is this band, Pearl Jam? Uh, 90s grudge band from Seattle. They've been around for about 30 years. Okay. Eddie Vedder's the singer. Right. Do you know how they got started? Um, I know that they came out of Mother Love Bone. Yes. Yeah, so singer of Mother Love Bone dies. Pretty tragic. <clears throat> uh, Jeff Ament, Ament and Stone Gossard were from Mother Love Bone and they had some songs. They took a little minute, got back together, started writing some songs, wrote this demo the Stone Gossard demo and sent it around kind of looking for someone to sing on it. It was all instrumental and uh, a San Diego native Eddie Vedder got a hold of it from someone, maybe a part-time or former drummer of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh. And laid down vocals on the songs that would become Once and Alive. And sent it back. Uh, they were like, hmm, okay. This might be something. And then while he was on his way up there, also wrote the lyrics to Black and the vocal parts to that. So um, that's how they got started. Uh, was, was he living in San Diego when he got that demo? Do you know? Yes, he was. I did not know that. I thought he was living in Seattle. I just assumed they were all part of the crew. I believe he moved up there and it was sort of kind of like, hey, here's the new guy, you know, new guy in town. Um, why are we discussing this album? I think for two reasons. The first is, as you mentioned, we've been on this theme of uh, 90s, revisiting 90s grunge stuff. Yeah, in 90s general. grunge, 90s all. We've touched in a lot of 90s indie too, quietly. Like yeah, that's true, key. actually. I was thinking about it. I was like, <clears throat> oh yeah, we've hit a lot of So yeah. Um, and then the second part is, I've always wanted to discuss a Pearl Jam record with you because um, I know that you are a big fan of the band. Yep. And I don't think of myself as a fan of them at all, but I right. did have this record when I was a kid. So, right. but I haven't listened to it for probably 20 years. Yeah. This is a record that <clears throat> basically, if you were born between 19. Ah, man. Hmm, let's see. If you're born in 75, if you were born between 1975 and 1987, there's a very strong chance you own this record. Yeah, that Is sounds that right. Fair? Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe it's maybe it's 80 75 to 85 and there's a little truancy on both sides of that. I think I think 75 to 87 is the right range. Some of the folks born in 75 who were a little hip to stuff maybe were like yeah, fuck this trash. Some of the people who were born in 87 who weren't hip to stuff might have missed this completely. Um, yeah, I am a I am a very big Pearl Jam fan. Uh, obviously, this is the first Pearl Jam record I heard. Um, and it is still... I think it's unequivocally their most popular record. Yeah. And Seems like, like that way. The record that they're most known for, and that's just what it is. Um... I mean, definitely some of their biggest hits too. I mean, the the only the only yeah. like huge hits that come to mind that aren't on this are like Better Man. Uh huh. But I don't pay much attention. Like I can't even think of other hits, honestly. <sighs> Elderly Woman. Come I on, man. don't know that song. You you do know that. What's song. it on? I seem to recognize her face. Oh yeah, um, sure. Okay. I think it's is it on Versus? 
yes, it's on Versus. Okay. Um, daughter. Don't daughter. Call oh, me duh. Yeah, daughter. of course. Dissident. Um, yeah, man. Like, but it's but okay. It's all so here's like, the it's secret. All, thing. It's all fairly early Pearl Jam. That's ninety three. I mean, <clears throat> so in in the Pearl Jam catalog, uh, their cover of Last Kiss was a pretty big track from the late nineties. Um, all right, let's let's do this. Um, there are hits through the catalog that people would know that they don't totally. Corduroy is a big one. Better Man's a big one. Better Man was so damn big. Damn. Um, Their Discogs is really frustrating because they have all uh, these live albums. I mean, so is their streaming. If you want to go through and scroll through their albums, they have hundreds. So, man, all right. Let's talk Pearl Jam. It's like Grateful Dead level live set. Well, yes. So I think they kind of like they love that vibe of the live set thing, um, the Grateful Dead thing. There's a pretty big fandom towards the like live Neil Young material. There's a big fandom for a lot of, you know, I mean, even then you go to stuff like Fugazi where they were documenting it and they started to catalog all their live recordings. Pearl Jam had the wherewithal to go, hey, you know what? We're going to start releasing these live sets in relative smaller run and minimal packaging because there was actual demand for it. So there was a time period in the mid 2000s, Pete, you probably remember this where you'd go to a record store and there'd be all these Pearl Jam CDs that were live CDs, like almost like Brown cardboard, like chipboard style packaging for, for 90% of them. Yeah. Yeah of various live shows um, because they were like, oh, oh, instead of uh, letting these be bootlegged, we'll just release them formally and try to keep the price low. And they, for the most part were CDs were fading out a bit, but they did pretty well. It certainly has made their discogs and like streaming selections rough. (laughs) So, um, but so for somebody who's not, not a Pearl Jam super fan and is like, Hey, 10 has the hits. You're not wrong. Um, but as the resident Pearl Jam fan, I will tell you, um, that if you want to dive into Pearl Jam or you're curious about hearing a version of them or hearing some of their material, um, live on two legs, which was released in 98, I believe. And then there's Live on 10 Legs, which is from uh, 2010, something like that. But Mm. Live on Two Legs, I think, is this incredible live representation of the band. I think it's from a live set in Australia. I listen to it religiously. Wow. I I love this recording. No, Oh, no, no, no. It's a a compilation of random live stuff. Um, There's another one that I have that's all from Australia. What is that one? Damn. This one has like an awesome selection of it's basically a best of for them at the time. Um, man, this doesn't strike me as the same, but anyways, um, Oh yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it's worth a listen. It's worth, if you want to dive into the catalog beyond, um, please do that. And I actually think they're a remarkably impressive live band because they're playing in that like, Hey, we're a rock band. We play for two hours. 
Yeah, I mean, they if do that for you know crazy tours. <laughs> if there's such a demand for their live stuff, I I have to imagine that they're doing something right. So I'm I'm curious. I've I've never seen them. I saw Eddie Vedder do a live set once, like acoustic. Oh, really? And it was how yeah, did that was, happen? It was the um, well, I was working at a concert venue in San Francisco oh, okay. for okay. a few summers, so I saw everything that came through. But Neil Young, I think he's still doing it, but he for years and years, like two decades maybe he did something called the bridge school benefit um which is benefiting i think a school for kids with special needs um including his son actually who was part of that school um and the whole kind of shtick of the whole thing is that if you perform at this you have to perform acoustic so it was really cool because he gets these huge bands like metallica played i saw sonic youth play like all these bands that you'd never think about seeing acoustic play acoustic it's it's really wild that's really cool actually shout out to neil yeah um but eddie vetter played it was right after johnny ramone died and he played strictly ramone song so it was it was interesting okay i yeah there's a weird phase for pearl jam where eddie had like a jock hawk and they would play and it was kind of like uh like it's uh i think it's ramone's morning era eddie yeah. vetter because he was I good would, friends with them, right? Or yeah, he, with was, Johnny, he was a huge fan, and he was he was a huge fan who then you know <clears throat> I think became close with them. So like, there's a there's a certain level of authenticity there. It's not some pose, but in terms of the uh, the way he appeared, the 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 aesthetic of the whole thing was not his best. Um, not his best. Uh, that said, um, I, I'm excited to tear this record up. Um, 10 is the record that's their most popular. It's a, I don't know. I would call it divisive. I think it's a divisive record because there were people who loved Pearl Jam. There are people who loved Nirvana. There's people who love both, but there were not that many. I feel like there was a real division between I'm a huge Nirvana person or I'm a huge Pearl Jam person. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I remember thinking that they were, compared to nirvana for example who i really liked too yeah i had the 10 cd but i also had the nevermind cd the in utero cd and it just had so much more of an edge Soundgarden had more of an edge not wrong i mean like not 10 specifically but what pearl jam were doing i think like during verses and vitology yeah it, it got a little, they went in a softer direction, which like, I'd love to revisit them now because I don't know how I'd feel about it now, but at the time it was not what I was looking for. No, I, I think they pivot really hard after 10. 10 comes, um, we'll talk about it a lot, uh, obviously, but I think they pivot and really the next f- four albums for sure. <clears throat> um, I think is a better representation of them as a band. Now mm. the hits are the hits, and this the, obviously I, I love this record for a lot of reasons, um, not the least of which is nostalgia and being a twelve-year-old who loved this record. But um, they, uh, there's a lot to say about this record. So um, you're not wrong. I think that Soundgarden had more of an edge. Alice in Change certainly has more of an edge, and Nirvana certainly has more of an edge. Uh, Whereas this record, to be quite honest, 
feels pretty big. And in comparison to those, it feels like Arena Rock right out of the gate. Yeah. Agreed. So um, your familiarity with this record before you said you owned it. Yeah. Bought the CD. But haven't listened to it. In, yeah. Right. Bought the CD when it came out. Hadn't listened to it for a very, very long time. Um, it was one of those things where I think I... I probably listened to certain songs at the time a lot more than others. I don't think I was giving it the full album listen most of the time. Right. I was just going to certain songs and uh, that proved itself out while I was listening to it because there are certain songs I have no recollection of. Um, But I kind of assumed that I wasn't going to like it because I haven't revisited them in a long time and i was actually pleasant pleasantly surprised so we'll get into the details but can't wait but yeah Um, so i'm a big fan i was a pearl jam guy um that's not sad and love nirvana i loved nirvana and uh over time i've come to appreciate nirvana much more even but with pearl jam i just so there's a weird disconnect on a lyrical level between the two and I think you can hear it. Um, Nirvana is a lot more nihilist, a lot yeah. more. And Nirvana, or, and and you know, you can kind of pick up where that comes from. It's just this really <clears throat> um, dark place, and that's okay. Like, and actually, you know, there's quite a bit of music that I really like that is firmly in that camp. That said. Um, Pearl Jam spoke to me in a way on a broader level where I felt like it kept lyrically especially because I was a kid that's what I was connecting with I was really kind of connecting with Um, caught me on different levels you know they had darker songs they had sadder songs but they also had up tempo stuff and they had stuff that was more storyteller or kind of like felt like there was more meta commentary um and now, with the, the lens of hindsight, I could probably give or take both and see the merits to the lyrics. But at the time, it connected more lyrically with Pearl Jam. Mm. And um, yeah, you know, if I were to compare Nevermind and 10 today, track by track, I, I think Nevermind's going to win. But at the time, um, there also was Nirvana fatigue. I have to say that. Like, sure. I was in what, what, sixth grade in 1994. Right. Sixth grade going in seventh grade. Um, there were, there were, I think I've referenced this in other places, but, but basically you couldn't escape the shadow of Kurt Cobain's suicide. And it was a really sad and dark thing. And there were kids who like, and I say kids, I really mean that I'm, I'm a dude who has a soon-to-be eight-year-old. So I was like 12. So that's only four years older. Yeah, you're a child. But there was kids, children, who were like on a daily wearing a Nirvana shirt in almost a morning state. And it was really a weird time. Absolutely. So so (laughs) True. um, That's something that I don't think gets discussed enough. This idea of like how public that was and how big of a deal it was. Um, Anyways... I love this record. Uh, I have not sat with 10 like headphones listen in easily five years and maybe longer than that. 
All um, right. There was a big reissue in 2009. <clears throat> I remember because it had some demo stuff that I remember checking it out kind of loosely and be like, oh, okay, cool. I think they had done a new record. It was either then or a year after or so backspacer that I remember enjoying a good amount. So I was like, okay, let me like kind of pivot here and do some Pearl Jam diving, but it's been a while and I certainly didn't do full album listens then. So, yeah. Um, and to be very honest, the hits on this record, I had gotten my fill of and would catch on live recordings. So sure. So Pete, any <clears throat> big thoughts before we start really diving in? Um, no, just, um, you mentioned, Pearl Jam not being as dark as Nirvana. I agree definitely on a whole, but this record gets dark. Darker oh, yeah. than I thought it did. Yeah, and so that's... that's, <clears throat> And I think that on a dark level, I think they both get dark, and I, I, I think Nirvana just has more of a defeated sense to it. Sure. A defeated fuck it sense, whereas Pearl Jam's like, ugh, gut punch. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do now kind of feel, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, and they're, it's, 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 that it's basically similar darkness. How do you, uh, uh, communicate that? So, um, no, that's a good point. I have two big questions for you, Pete. Okay. One, I think we talked about this in, with Soundgarden about the vocal range of Chris Cornell and that juxtaposed to the music, etc. Mm-hmm. Lane Staley, Allison Chains, another really like both iconic singer, but also like big range, could do a lot of different stuff. Kurt Cobain certainly has to be noted as both this just like infectious attitude and emotion seeping out of his vocals and unique and Eddie Vedder has to be in that same category of like high tier vocalist but he's really different than the others Mm -hmm. and we'll break that up a bit my question for you the way this record the way 10 is produced how much of it is a vehicle for Eddie Vedder's vocals and how much of it, you know what I mean? Like it almost feels produced in a way to highlight vocals more so than more so than Alice in Chains Nevermind for sure or Nirvana for sure and comparable in a sense to some of the Soundgarden tracks where I just feel like it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you weren't really sure what to do here. So you just let Cornell carry you. And there was a couple of these tracks where I'm like, oh yeah, this is a, all right. Eddie, go Ed Ved, go do your thing, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it seems like it's funny that you mentioned the demo tracks before, um, mm-hmm. I guess, the, the few songs that they were shopping around. Yeah. Because those are some of the songs that feel most fully formed. Um, yep. And although I think his vocals are great on those songs, they don't require such strong vocals, I guess, just because they're really strong songs. There are definitely mm-hmm. other strong songs that aren't on that demo you mentioned, but, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, but I yeah, also that's... think it's, it's, it's really, and this is, I guess, just like a larger point. The fact that this is their debut album 
and like Eddie Vedder was a fairly new singer. Mm. It's fucking insane, dude. <laughs> like it's it's really like high quality shit for like a band that was not doing its thing for very long. I mean, I know that some of the guys had been in previous bands that, you know, were pretty big and were obviously playing around to release records and stuff, but yeah. It's like really fully formed for a debut album. Yes, no question. No question about that. So, um it feels fully formed and there's some things that I I for the actually, most part. No, no, no. I I think it's there and it's we talked about the difference between this, even to versus the next record, and then <clears throat> certainly Vitology, the third record. Um, and I, I think No Code, low key, the record after Vitology might be my favorite Pearl Jam record. But, um, well, we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, we can, uh, we can group. <laughs> we, I feel so much more comfortable. Like, like uh, Led Zeppelin, you, there's groupings where you're like, here's the early period, here's the mid period, here's later. Some sometimes you could do it in a, just early and then later. I actually feel more comfortable splitting into kind of three sections. Um, Pearl Jam, I feel like there's ten. Then there's versus Vitology and No Code, and then there's a couple. There's two or three right there after that binaural, um, self-titled that kind of should group together too, but they, they it's this record sort of singular for a lot of reasons. Um, not the least of which is the production. And I think we'll talk about that a lot. Um, and it's one of the things that I think sets it apart from the other records. Um, last question, last big idea question. We can go track to track where we'll really start peeling into this. Does this feel like small room or big room music? Oh, big room. Right. A hundred percent. Like feels, uh, yeah, <clears throat> it feels like it's ready to roll out to a, a stadium, an arena right away. Yeah. So without further ado, let's go track by track. Track by track. Track number one. Once. Um, Dude, this is as angry as they get. That line, 16 gauge buried under my clothes. I was like, God damn, this is like intense music. I never really thought about the lyrics like that. Yeah. Um, But this song, so I'm going to say, like I said, I went in kind of expecting not to like this. This song totally got me. Oh, it was like, it's (laughs) such good energy. Like his vocals are super fierce. It feels like it's a fierce intro song, man. I I really liked it. Uh, fierce, um, kind of comes at you right off the bat. 
like <coughs> like just just strong energy right out of the gate and um yes there's it's kind of vocally Eddie Vedder's doing a lot it's kind of fast it's tumbling um and there's a lot of personality all across it and uh what I notice on this song as well as um alive I think um the chorus of the the verses explode into the choruses yeah and it just feels huge it feels like huge huge and um the vocal they're a little bit grittier to open you know what I mean and then it starts moving faster um <laughs> I love some of it like there's just great lines the Indian summer I hate the heat I got a backstreet yeah. lover on the passenger seat. It's like cool, you know. Yeah. Um, some of the pre, like the pre-song stuff, has a very Phil Collins in the air tonight <laughs> yeah. intro open. Yeah. And that's also how the record closes. Yeah. Which uh, is this weird thing? It's called Master Slave. It's supposed to be this like open close, um, designed for the CDH where it just repeats and cycles through. So okay. Yeah. Um. I think it's not just an interesting choice for a first song. Maybe one of the best opening tracks on any of the records we've listened to. It's a great opener for sure. I, it's funny. Like, I mean, part of the reason that I went in thinking I wouldn't like it is, I guess I haven't listened. I haven't really listened to Pearl Jam in a long time. I've just heard the the hits on the radio. Right. So the big radio hits. Yep. Yeah. The big, big ones. So yep. I still think of, I now think of Eddie Vedder's vocals, as being that kind of like, oh yeah, like that, like, right. like the lower yes. register kind mm-hmm. of like more mellow stuff. Yep. I forget how like angry and big he can get. Yeah. And that's what's all over this song, which brought me in. Although that big last, oh yeah, he does at the end, <laughs> like totally takes me out of it, dude. I don't like it at all. You get that all across this record. And, <laughs> but um, that's like, I mean, we've made the point before. That's kind of like a, a grunge thing that like new metal took. Yeah, well, yeah. So I was going to say <clears throat> what this record, more so than the next couple Pearl Jam records, is they inspired a gener- generation of Eddie Vedder busters. Mm-hmm. Like buster ass Eddie Vedder impersonators, whether it's, you know, the dude from Creed or like, fuck God, who's the one I'm really thinking of? Like you just get a lot of that weird, like, like even, even defaulting into the worst of it, which I think is Nickelback. True. And you just get these guys who are trying to give this off kilter, sort of low register, deeper croon, yeah, yeah. Um, like, <sighs> I have to admit that I think the vocals on, like the uh, the ninety, what's the the mid nineties Metallica record? Is it Garage Days or whatever it is? Um, the like, here's your Crown King, nothing record, whatever that record is. I can't remember right now. Load but most load, yes. Oh. Those are one thousand James Hetfield's <laughs> one thousand percent inspired by by Eddie Vedder's dumbass. Yeah, um, and I think he's trying to have this halfway like seventies rock, <clears throat> but also 
you got to remember, we're just post hair metal here. Yeah. You know, and I think some of that, I think some of that seeps into this record. I think we talked about it with Alice in Chains a bit, maybe nudged at it on Soundgarden. Um, and I think it's here too. I think Nevermind's probably the one that pushes away from hair metal the most of this, tr- you know, grouping of, of the grunge uh, Rushmore. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you, you get some of that cock rock stuff going on here. Um, it's cool. I'll forgive it. I just you forgive it. It, 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 takes, it takes me out of it at the end. That's all. Once is um, no question one of my favorite songs on the record. I just feel like there's great energy and it explodes. And um, I think this song more than a lot of the rest to the record is the one. And I'm glad you got pulled in. This is a song you play for someone who's like, oh, what's Pearl Jam? Okay, play the song. It'll yeah. catch them. Now, the second song... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I have to imagine that they don't play this song live anymore. But if they do, I'm curious to hear how it sounds now. I bet it gets pulled out every once in a while. You you lead us into the next I mean, it's obviously a fan favorite. Yeah. Um, Um, Even Flow, next song. So this is... This little song. (laughs) This little song. This is easily, like the first thing that comes to mind for me when I think of Pearl Jam. Yes. Um, my earliest memories. I probably saw the music video for this before I bought the CD, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, music video is just them playing live. Eddie Vedder jumps off this really high kind of thing. Crowd he, catches him. It's this wild whole deal. Yeah, he's playing like a theater. I, I will reference this because I talk about it other places <laughs> a lot, uh, like Axe to Grind. Um, and me and, and friend of the show, Dave Ackerman, he's ta- I used to refer to it as Eddie Vedder stage dives, <laughs> where you just kind of get up somewhere high and fall. Yeah. Um, he kind of <laughs> like slowly creeps along the edging of this old theater where there's probably like a three inch, <laughs> you know. <laughs> landing that he can stand on and then waits and just kind of falls into the crowd like trust fall style <laughs> looks fun totally I completely forgot that he totally just falls off you he think falls. he gives this dramatic look you really think he's gonna do this huge like jump? A front flip no nah, he yeah. just kind of falls and just it's kind nice. of falls <laughs> it's cool like man i'm not mad about that that's hilarious um so anyways um Looking through the recent Pearl Jam set list, I'm not seeing them play once. I'm going to check. Oh, this one looks good. Um, but yeah, this is another one. I mean, the, the chorus is yeah. the chorus is huge. Um, there's a lot of groove to it. This one feels like it's pulling from classic rock at like, and at the time, I mean, classic rock. I guess like Led Zeppelin, for example in this yeah. way that I don't feel like a lot of the grunge bands of the time were, it feels like big rock in this way that a lot of their contemporaries at the time, I don't know that they were doing that as much. No. Uh, my first note about this is big rock song. Yeah. You feel it in the guitar right off. Like it's not small club music. The echoing and the depth in the vocal production literally makes you feel like this is being played in an airport. And yeah. an airplane hanger, you know, um, giant chorus. Um, it's similar to once in the way that the verse explodes into the chorus kind of, um, 
it is there are some elements of Led Zeppelin, but they do it in this kind of wavy way that so so I'm gonna say this. I love this record. Critical ear. It is so heavily produced. It is so produced. And yeah. I wonder now when I look back at it and like there were always these things like Kurt Cobain had negative shit to say about Pearl Jam and this and that. I actually get it because I think there were people people in that world and, and bands who were playing with these bands who looked at Pearl Jam and went, yo, you guys went and like you have the this is this is the glossy laminated uh, sleeve when we all have like handwritten set lists. Like, what are you doing? Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And even flow is the, this is a big rock song. There are not, are there 10 guitar songs bigger than even flow from 1980 to 2000? Oh wow! I mean, 1980. I feel like there 1980. are. I'm, I'm throwing a couple like Bruce Springsteen songs. Rock. I'm throwing some a couple Bruce Springsteen songs. Uh, a couple Guns and Roses, maybe a Bon Jovi song in here. The Crew, dude. Okay, Def, but, Def but like, yo, I think even Flow is right up there with some of these those songs, like that level of like popularity at this point. And I'm counting shit like, like, um, like smells like Teen Spirit. You know, sure. I think it smells like Teen Spirit, and then even flow. Smells like Teen Spirit's a, the clear one. Then it's even flow and like a handful of Foo Fighter songs. You know what I mean for the '90s. Yeah. Um. But I think that those that it's like a gigantic rock song. It's big. It's not like pour some sugar on me big, but it's No, I think it's bigger than that. Do you really? <laughs> I do. I don't know. Dude, I mean, like it might be unfair because of the way time moves. Um Hold on. Let's 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 go to the streams. Hold on. Let's see. Okay, Evenflow only has been streamed and this is streaming via Spotify, so um only been streamed 311 uh, million times. Let's see what our boys in Def Leppard are doing. Pour some sugar on me. Yes. Uh, less 250? 219. Okay. So 100 million less. I like photograph more anyway. That's only 62 million, and that is a better song, no question. Yeah, way better song. Way better. All right, we're doing a Def Leppard record. Um, <laughs> like, all right, let's see. Let's see. The crew, I'm going to try this. I think the way, I mean, all right, sidebar. There's been some, there has definitely been some <clears throat> hair washing of, uh, of, hair metal and like from history like yeah, people don't so. want to talk about Molly Crew streaming era nobody's really checking it out no all right yeah uh girls 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 160 mil doctor feel good 137 shout at the devil 91 all right let's let's see some let's go to the big guns here 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the big guns. Guns N' Roses. What's the top stream Guns N' Roses song? Uh, Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. Duh. Sorry, I was thinking of guess, the name. Guess the streams. Over a billion. One billion thirty nine million two hundred three thousand. Uh, November rains at five sixty seven million. Paradise City six thirty eight million. Welcome to the Jungle six seventy three. Knocking on Heaven's Door four hundred two. Jesus. Um, okay, so Guns and Roses, Crazy Streams, Sweet Child of Mine, one billion thirty nine million streams. Uh, smells like Teen Spirit, just just right there. One billion ninety four million. So it's crazy. Um, yeah, big guitar hits. Even flow only three hundred million, three hundred eleven. But um, Peanuts. I argue that it's one of the biggest guitar songs since nineteen eighty. That said, I enjoyed it. I haven't listened to it in a very long time. Uh, when it comes on the live stuff, I'll listen to it. I, I won't skip it most of the time, but sometimes I'll, you know. Um, how how are you, where are you at on Even Flow? I think it's great. It holds up. I mean, I, to your point, the only thing that I really took away, because this is one of the radio songs that I have never really felt myself get tired of. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't wow. mind when it comes on. Okay. Um, maybe good memories. I have no idea what it is, but it's like, it's never been like a grating song that I just hear over and over. I've always enjoyed it, but, um, the production yeah, no part of me that there's no part of me that dislikes even flow. I should make that clear. Yeah. It's so slick. Like it really, really is so slick, especially with the headphones. Listen. Yeah. I like to your point, I get why Kirk Cobain was making fun of them and they may have been seen as kind of doing this other thing outside of, you know, the grunge, the larger grunge scene or whatever. Um, or guys who had been in grunge who were then trying to like, quote unquote, make it or whatever. Um, I get that more now after this listen, but I still like the song a lot. Me too. All right. Uh, I also think at the end of the song, <clears throat> kind of that fuzzed out jammy part is cool, but totally not crucial to the song. And you could probably cut a good minute off the end and you'd be fine. I mean, you know I think I mean? that's what you're talking about with like the like, like there's a little bit of leftover hair metal going on. Yeah. Like just that's, a little bit. that's a long lead that you don't really need there. Yes, correct. Track three, Alive. Um, another super hit, maybe yep. not as big as even flow, but no. big hit. Um, this one got me too on the production, just with that, like acoustic guitar texture mm-hmm. woven in there. Um, yeah, I liked it, which it sounds good. It sounds great, but yeah, I mean, it's just a bigger song than, or a bigger production value, I think, than a lot of that stuff. Although I don't know, Nirvana Nevermind is like huge production value too. So. Who it's knows? just from a different angle. That's the thing. It is, like yeah. Guitar tones, you know, it's like, oh, we're not doing buzzsaw, you know? Um, right. This is kind of a slight change up. It's giving some of that different guitar play that like you just mentioned. Um, the song itself is less driving than once or even flow. Yeah, they take it down a notch. And it's a, like, I called it narrative pace because this is a storyteller song and you get a few of these on this record. Yep. And I love these goddamn songs. It's such a it's such a trope when a storyteller song's like, "Hey, let me tell you about," and it's like, 
I've got a story for you. And it's like, oh, come on, man. Um, but I'm in. Um, this one, unlike Once and Even Flow, that's right. I was comparing this. Unlike Once and Even Flow, the chorus doesn't explode. It just, you kind of fall into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, and then you're in the chorus. So um, it's a bit of a lulling tempo. The third verse lyrically shows teeth that help the whole thing tie together. It's on the longer side. And I think you could still cut the last minute again, some of that wanking. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that last, the third verse, the, uh, oh, you're still alive. She said, do I deserve to be, you know, like it's so, it's so good. Like just this funny thing. So, um, by this point in the record, it's like, wait, Eddie Vedder seems not just like a confident pro, but like is playful in his deliveries. You know what I mean? And you, you brought up a great point. Yo, this is his first record. What the yeah, fuck? I know that's, that's, it's mind blowing to like, like you normally vocalists don't get to that point of being able to like navigate a song like that for a while. No, no. And he's, I, I, I'm impressed with him here. I think alive and Jeremy are the two main kind of like storyteller flexes here. And I think he's Jeremy, obviously another mega hit, but this one just, he's, he's, he's a cat with a string on this one. He's playing with it. It's, <laughs> it's just fun. So, um, I love the song. Cool. All right. Um, Why go? So for this one, I was... uh, I forgot, I guess, that the first three songs are these mega hits. So I was kind of anticipating some songs that I had not... I was less familiar with or didn't remember. So this is the first non-hit here. Um, And to me, it it really didn't hit, dude. I'm not going to lie. Oh, the riff to me sounds like a like a redux of even flow. Um, yes. It almost sounds yes. like the same riff, which is weird. Um, I will say that I like the why go home chorus somewhat. Correct. But it's like almost too little too late. Yes. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of these songs when we talked about Soundgarden. It was like, Oh, why? Why'd you do this song? Why go? Feels like it was just kind of like, hey, we kind of got some stuff going on. Why don't we? This song, we had like part of an idea here, you know? Right. Um, it's got that thrusting kind of undulating tempo. This is no one's favorite Pearl Jam song. Um, my real memory of this song is that it's like, oh yeah, that's the one where. Eddie Vedder drops that really hard fuck. <laughs> like, and I almost am like, is that the purpose of the song? So he could kind of just give you that hard one. Yeah, this is a cut for me. Yeah, it's I a cut actually, for me too. It's it's like a pretty easy. It just doesn't doesn't cut the mustard on a record with a lot of good songs. Skip it. Next song, Black. Oh, and all I talk about 
Bad Boy Ballad. <laughs> yeah. Um, True. And let me just say, there was a long time in my life when I asked, what's your favorite Pearl Jam song? I'd say Black. So wow. I'm, not, I'm not absolving myself. Um, <clears throat> so many cues from hair metal ballads and maybe even power ballads. Like, could Michael Bolton have done a competent Black cover? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just throw some weird synths and like elevator music version of this and you got it. Um I the I know someday you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be a star. Like that line one, I love it. I love it too. I love it. <laughs> but like, come on, Eddie, Eddie, yeah. <laughs> what happened here? Um, this is the uh, this is the oh, you like Guns N' Roses November Rain? We got something for you. This is the like drug on a stick. Come over to grunge. Yeah, it's 100%. a one hundred percent keeper. All that joking aside. I like it too. Um, I was actually shocked that this was not a single um, because I feel like it's been treated like a single. Yeah. Am I I wrong? No, this was a huge song. Yeah. Like, I feel like I've I've definitely heard this on the radio radio over the years. Yeah. Huge radio. Yeah. Okay. I was like, man, I've either, I've either, I either really liked this song back then and just remember it like that, or it's just still playing on classic rock radio, but. Both. Yeah, I guess it's the latter. Probably both. Yeah. All right. Uh, the there's a lot of hits on this record, but we've covered most of them by this point. But there's one other mega hit. We're about to hit it, Jeremy. Um, I don't have much to say about this, but it's a classic song, and I'll never forget the music video. Um, oh, yeah, great music videos for this record. But yeah, uh, I don't know. It's this is like a classic tune. That's great. Yeah, um, timely with the politics of the day. Um, you know, school shooter vibes. Um, Could still I be like timely, it. maybe. Yeah, unfortunately. It's it's musically kind of the midway point between a live and even flow. You have that undulating bounciness. Um, again, this is, uh, this is Uncle Eddie on the stool to tell you a story. Yeah. Um, softer choruses. I like it now more than I did when it was something I was hearing all the time. There was a time when it was just really kind of nonstop on the radio. Yeah. Lyrically, vocally, um, I think Vetter nails some of the subtleties of his style really well. Like, to put it in the sports terminology, he's in his bag here. Like, he really is like pulling different tricks out and uh, some that work really well, some that become signature and some that are like, oh, you don't hear him go, whoa, <laughs> much more on future records. But sonically, I think this is this does it's a tone setter for a lot of the band's future material. So interesting. Um, yeah, a very good song. I'll I'll back what you said too. I mean, at the time, I could have never heard this song again, and I would have been fine with it. But at this point, it's I I feel like they don't play this as a radio song as much as they used to. They've no picked up on other Pearl Jam songs, which I think has done this song a favor over time. Yeah, one hundred percent. All right, oceans.
Ocean. So another slower, kind of vibier song. Um, this sounds like, like again, I feel like they kind of dig into the classic rock bag in this way that other bands, their contemporaries weren't doing. Yep. This feels like they're trying to do some like Led Zeppelin physical graffiti shit to me. Um, oh, interesting. So, so that's okay. Great pull. Okay, and go I, ahead. I don't love it. It doesn't really work for me all that well. So I like this song. I think of it as one of the more pleasant songs on here. It feels kind of good coming out of how heavy <clears throat> Jeremy can get. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a little airier, kind of, uh, I'd call it more open field. Mm-hmm. Um, the different vocal effect here also is interesting. I, I, I kind of found it welcome to it. Um, I don't dislike the song. I, I'm with it. When people reference that Pearl Jam is like the the two reference points that I hear are like, oh, Pearl Jam wanted to sound like uh, Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. I'm like, yo, at no point do I hear very much Jimi Hendrix. Now, later in the record, there's some blues, blues guitar kind of stuff going on here and there, but not much. Um, like blues rock riffs. Um, yeah. There is a little bit of that mid-late era Led Zeppelin when they start getting airier. Like you were saying, um, the physical graffiti type stuff. I could see some of that. Or like in through the outdoor. Yeah. Um, Just the the more like experimental Zeppelin vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I I can see that. That, This would fit more of that energy. But it's always through this like... it, It... any of that gets pulled through like, okay, remove all synths because that's the one thing I'll say about this record. It's like, it's very anti-synth and the, the whole alternative nineties, early like grunge stuff couldn't have wanted to be further away from keyboards, um, <laughs> which I guess is reactionary to like new wave and like uh, how popular that shit got. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all pulled through like the grittier like scum metal like la metal hair metal type stuff so i could still see it 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 always feels a little dirtier than what led zeppelin was doing like like that later era but but i can see it and i'm glad you pulled that reference um are you cutting oceans um i'm gonna cut it okay i think i'm keep i'm keeping it all right porch porch so this is it still has that kind of groove that they have going on through the record but it feels like a faster almost like punker song yeah this is like a rocker they yeah. you know they're kind of after oceans they get back into their stadium flow yeah um i think this is the first moment on the record where we actually get some like there's moments hints at like sabbath aussie riffing through the break and close of the track. It's uh, not fully blown out, but in comparison to Soundgarden, Pearl Jam rarely goes there to those that level. But through the end of this record, you see them actually like, like, oh, look, we can play guitar. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the song's good, but uh, less memorable than I remembered it being. Yeah, it's 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 good. I like this song, but it's it's uh it's most certainly not a single. No, no, no. It's just Decent. I mean when when the, when you have such huge songs 
next to songs that are just not huge songs it it uh it's a weird juxtaposition you know well and and so <laughs> all right so up to this point once was a single but it's not the biggest even flow a mega hit alive a single why go eh. black not a single but was treated like one jeremy mega hit oceans eh. um there you start to go well what do you do if you have mega hits on a record and it's like they don't know they're going to be mega hits Right. It's, there's a, just a bit of a fall off here. Like I'll just say that there's a little yeah. bit of a fall off towards the end of the record, and we've seen that elsewhere. I think we talked about it. Um, <clears throat> we talked about it on the Boston episode. Um, the front, the front side of this record is super, super loaded, and that doesn't mean there's not charm in the second half, but it's not, it's not there like the first half. Yeah, and I think we've mentioned it on a lot of these albums before where I think it also just suffers from 90s CD era where like I'm sure the I'm sure the record label was like, "All right, well, it's only 40 minutes. Put like two more songs on it." Right. And what's interesting is that there was a bunch of songs recorded during the 10 session. Um I believe the song State of Love and Trust, which was a big one. Uh, was recorded during the session. That's when I referenced that 2009 reissue. There were some tracks from there. <clears throat> Yellow Leadbetter, which became a hit, was actually a B-side on one of the singles. Ah. If you put those two songs and sub out two of these second half songs, this record's like... like It's just like, holy shit. It's crazy. So Interesting. Um, they just kind of made some interesting choices. I think there was some personality stuff uh, they were trying to aim for, and they didn't want to just have the stadium stuff. So, um, all right. Porch is fine. Uh, I'm. Uh, I could keep it. I could lose it. I'm not mad at it, but whatever. Um, I'm keeping it. Okay, good. Garden. So this this was the first song where I was like, oh, I don't totally remember this. And then it hit the big chorus. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Now I got it. Yeah, this is another one. I I swear I've heard this one on the radio, too. Yeah, 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 it did. It, yeah. got, it got some play. Um, I felt like between this and on Porch, they sort of felt like these were like, they sort of felt like these two songs became template for the grunge alt that came a few years later where it's like the second or third wave of grunge stuff where it's a little more mellow. There's some loud, quiet guitar stuff. 
simple melody that's kind of cool, but like sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't land. I feel like those elements were on these songs. And it's why like this song, I like it, but it's not. It's far from a classic. Like it's not. Yeah. Like uh, again, it's another tonal song. It's it's really moody. Um, the riffing, the guitar riffing in the back end is like cool. And again, I feel like they're trying to remind you, like, yo, we can rock. Check it out. Check out that song, man. Um, and my big note here, Pete, this song is straight up two minutes too long. What the hell's going on? Yeah, I cut it because of that. Yep. Easy too cut long. to me. Deep. Next Go deep. song, Deep. Um, this is a bit heavier and grungier at the outset. Um oh a lot going on guitar wise on this one again, like big production. Mm -hmm. I like the song in general. The slide guitar reminds me either of like Alice in Chains or white zombie. Mm. Yeah. I like that riff, <laughs> the main riff. Yeah. I, but I feel like it's almost lost in the song cause there's no true payoff. Right. Yeah. You know, um, you're right. There's, um, there's one Alice in Chains song that really makes me think of. It doesn't sound like it, but it's like, to be honest, yo, trade this riff over to those dudes. That I think they would have done more with it. Yeah, they dirged it out. Um, and here was this is the song where they hit some of those big blues guitar riffs too. Like there's like okay, um, right, which is kind of where Alice in Chains what they did better. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they 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 explored that. They explored the sound between the notes when you do those big riffs and like how deep in you can go onto a blues riff. And I, I thought that was cool. Cooler than what they do here. This yeah. song's fine. I'm, I'm the tempo at this point has become very samey. And I started going, Oh, that's, that's what's hitting me is they haven't, it's almost, you're almost at wrap it up B levels. Yeah. yeah. And I just, this song lost me. So uh, it's a cut. It's not a it's not a bad song, but it's a cut. Yeah, I I think I'm going to keep this one actually, but it's wow. it's borderline cut. Okay. The last the, song release release. Um, not much to say other than this is another storyteller song. Mm -hmm. But I just don't feel like it delivers, and mm. it's another moment too where, to your point, it's like this is wrap it up B territory. <laughs> where it's it's a little too it's too little too late for me um yeah. i'd really need like something much bigger to and much i guess more engaging at this point to really bring me in and this song just doesn't do it so this one to me has the ballad elements it's a storyteller but it's almost a power ballad straight up um yeah softer track but vetter's carrying it his vocals are really carrying this song um I've always liked the song, still do. It's a keeper for me. My big takeaway was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Eddie was actually from San Diego. So all the illusions, both on this song, Deep and Oceans, all the like beach and water references, even flow. Mm -hmm. Yo, like, I don't know if you remember, but on uh, Super Unknown, there was a ton of it too. And I was like, yo, do you think there was ever a Soundgarden Pearl Jam beach volleyball game. <laughs> I really hope there was. Who would you, who do you think would win? 
I think the Pearl Jam dudes are going to win that. They feel way more jockey. Yeah, they feel more much more sporty than uh, yeah, the, the band's guys. name originally was Mookie Blaylock after a basketball player. True, like yeah, people know it. So yeah, Cornell strikes me as secret jock. <laughs> like I bet he's a better skateboarder than most of the Pearl Jam dudes. But oh shit, have you seen the viral video? It's pretty good. So Eddie Vedder, known baseball fan. It's Eddie Vedder um, on a wakeboard. So he's being towed by a boat on a wakeboard. Has a baseball bat. And somebody throws him a pitch and he hits the, he hits the pitch while um, riding the wakeboard. It's awesome. I have not so cool. seen that. All right, no. I'm going to send it. It's a nice, <laughs> it's a nice like compliment to this episode. So you're cut and release. I'm keeping it. All right. And how then long, the, just real quick. How long do you think this record is? It's over 50 minutes. Yeah, it's 53 minutes. 53 <clears throat> okay. minutes. What were you going to say? Um, I was going to say the the outro piece too. Um, what did you say it was called? Master Slave. Master Slave. They could have cut that by half as well. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does not um, need to be like five extra minutes, but no. And, and and you start to go like, okay, you cut two songs off the album, maybe three, and the weird intro outro thing. All of a sudden, you have an under 40 minute banger that's like third, maybe chocks in around 38, 39 minutes. And that would have been super okay yeah like it, it, you wouldn't have lost any of the emotion on this record um there was a couple songs on here i think for me oceans and then maybe even porch to be honest um and even garden there's tonal things that i'm like okay it makes sense like i wouldn't want these songs not on this record because they set the tone so um with all that said pete is this record too long? Does it drag at all? Yes. Yeah. Too long. Too long. Drags a little bit at the end for sure. How about the flow? Does it feel disjointed or is it even? <laughs> um, it flows fine. It's just it suffers from just too much music. Yeah. Fall off. CD syndrome. You're right. Yeah. Um, quality of the songs and lyrics, memorable songs. Uh, do they stand up? How do they stand up against their contemporaries? I mean, they sold 13 million of these albums. So, um, <laughs> the quality of the songs, I guess is pretty high. Um, uh, I don't know. The lyrics seem really thoughtful. Yeah. Um, they're thoughtful um, and there's a vagueness to some of them, but also some specificity, Yeah, which is what I think is good because the the easy slag you could take on a record like this is to be like, oh, cool, this is some fucking <clears throat> warrior poet, like shit, like, oh, thoughtful man on the aggressive <laughs> music scene. But it's like, no, he gets pretty specific and tries to go at some stuff. And I, I actually think that was always part of the appeal to me. Yeah, I mean, I was reading a little bit about how there's apparently three songs that I guess are have directly to do with his kind of father situation that he was dealing with at the time, which is, which is crazy to hear. It's so, just yeah, crazy. So it, it seems pretty deep. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it holds up against the contempor- their contemporaries. I think there's a reason that they're like, a, one of the longest running big rock bands 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, yes. That, um, just to, to let you know, when I was I peeled through some set lists, they still will play once in the set. Okay. They still play Alive. They still play Even Flow. They still play Jeremy. Um, they mix them up, but they, that's because they have a lot of records now. Um, it's actually kind of impressive. Um, now, this is an interesting one. Timelessness. Does yeah. it strictly exist in a time and place? Does it influence and impact spread much further? I mean, the only reason it's still relevant is because there's still an active band. Mm-hmm. Um, if if this just came out and nothing happened to them after, this would be like firmly, oh, you know, yeah. like a, a time capsule style. Yeah, thing. exactly. So it does exist very much as one of the like trademarks of this time frame of the early nineties and like the whole grunge thing. But the fact that they've had a long running career and have done a lot with it. Good. Has it influenced? Yeah. Mostly garbage. <laughs> like to the nth. Like I would, I won't go 90%, 95% but I'll go like a solid 85% garbage influence, which that is unfortunate. Accurate. Yeah. I'm tr- um, I was trying to think if I've ever heard anybody that I respect personally say like, yeah, you know, I'm, this record was really influenced by Pearl Jam. I don't <laughs> think I've ever heard anyone say that. Um, and finally, presentation, artwork, how it looks, all that. Is it memorable? I think the cover is one of the most um, memorable of the 90s, most like iconic of the 90s. Yeah. Even though when you look at it, it's not a ton going on. It's really um, ugly. I don't <laughs> I don't like the cover at all, but it's certainly iconic. It's yeah. I mean it's very of the time, those oh, colors and stuff. Oh, well, so like the colors I like, I actually like the colors. Um, <coughs> the image is kind of like, huh, okay. Um, I mean part of me likes the image just cuz it's so corny. It's like yeah. it's like all for one like and the fact that most of those dudes like the the lineup has remained fairly consistent, which I don't know. Very it's, consistent. It's, yeah. uh, it's cool. changing drummer, but otherwise a lot of the same dudes. Um, it's certainly like it's halfway between a JV high school, like, all right, guys, come in, huddle, and like <laughs> an outtake from a Red Hot Chili Peppers live show. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. So, uh, so it's kind of cool when you actually look and are like looking at the photo closely. I bet there's some good information about the cover. Like, it's like sort of a brick wall and then there's the big pearl jam letters it's there's a lot going on and i remember with the cd that i had that was actually like a fold out yep exactly yeah all right so this is this is one of those things that's like a picasso um from afar it's good but it's far <laughs> from good um no it's, it's the the less time you spend looking at it the better it is. So uh, let's. I'm gonna. I close my Google image search. <laughs> um, so going through all this, and actually, I'm I'm so happy because you are much warmer about the record than I thought you could have been. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, there's a world where you're like, ugh, even Flo and Jeremy have beaten my ears to death, and I don't ever need to hear these songs again. Uh, once alive, whatever. They just don't hit. I don't like Eddie's vocals. There's a world where you could have really not liked this record, but it sounds like you kind of like it. What, yeah, I thought what, that was going to be the case. Yeah, what are you giving this record out of five? 
I'm I'm going to give it a 2.5. Okay, good. That's 50%. Yeah. So people who get like hung up on this stuff, yo, we do five stars. 50 is good. Yeah, and I mean, and just so the listeners know, I'm actively trying not to give threes because I think that's the most boring answer. Threes are, threes are the lukewarm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it a... Fuck. I'm going to give it a four. All right. I thought I was going to come in at <laughs> 3.5. But uh, once and Alive are just really, really strong. And then I'm going through and I'm like, no, I love this song. I love this song. I love this song. And and there's a lot of nostalgia. So maybe it's like uh, a 3.5 stars and then the other half is a heart. I'm going to assign you that graphic design assignment. But it, it's a four. <laughs> I'm going to give it a four. So Cool. Bob, do you have this record? Um, I have this CD for sure. I still have my original Pearl Jam 10 CD. Oh, uh, that's cool. I don't have it on vinyl. Kind of in a weird douche way, I want an original copy, which I think is not particularly cheap. I don't imagine that's very cheap. There are a lot of them, though. That's the one thing. There are a lot of them. I think if I had been really looking in like 2002, 3, 4, 5, I could have found one for a very reasonable price. Yeah, that's probably true. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Pete, do you own this record? I do not. Are you going to add it to your collection? If I find a vinyl copy for less than $20, I'll buy it. $20 on the nose, you're buying it? Yeah, I'll buy it. Fuck yeah. Fuck it. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Follow us on social media at TraxPod. And email us. Thank you for all the emails. It's been awesome. Email us at trackspod at gmail.com Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, something wrong she said Of course there